Incoming transmission. The Klingonese word of the day is say. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. He is the writer, director, and star of the YouTube series 1701, A Blurred Story, from Hollywood, California, with the most buttery shoulders. <laughs> it's Matt Jennings! <laughs> It's never going away. So if at any time you're just kind of like, hey, you know, can we? No, no, it's here to stay. <laughs> you, you know something? So I have to say before we uh, before we started, uh, we started recording today. As I was driving today, I was thinking, you know what? He said that my shoulders were buttery and it's like one of the most obscure random compliments. And so whenever I'm having a bad day, yeah. all I think to myself is, you know what? I've got buttery shoulders. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, and all is right with the world. Hey, you know, and I'm I'm secure enough that when I see your photos of of you jacked out of your mind, you you're 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 just built. You're you're built very well, sir. Oh, you sweet talker! I bet you say that to all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, dude, the shoulders, the arms, the chest, the abs, the the quads like i was like man he's 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 doing it he's doing it meanwhile meanwhile i'm very i'm barrel chested i you could find me like i feel like if you saw me in a kilt like in a tavern with an axe on my shoulder you'd be like oh yeah there's todd he fits in here <laughs> that's also still very sexy that's still sexy i'm i'm not even joking that is still a sexy look not even joking <laughs> I needed that. I needed that, man. <laughs> so, how have you been? It's been oh gosh. Uh, when what was the last episode? It was you. You were on for an earlier episode of Discovery, weren't you? I yeah, was. Yeah. I want to say it was. Was it January or February? It's been. It's been a minute. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And now we are. We are here. It is. Mm -hmm. We're getting very close to September. The, yeah. the pumpkin spice lattes are about to be made. Oh yeah. Um, I have been. <laughs> I've been good. It has been a very interesting journey the last few months from uh, the last time that we were on to now, mm -hmm. you know, in regards to things like the writer strike happening and now SAG after is striking. Mm -hmm. um, and at one point, uh, I think that there was a, one of the Broadway unions was going to strike as well. It didn't happen, but that was close to happening too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's all, there's always those woes that come in with being an artist or just being with someone that works in show business at any capacity with how hard it is. Um, and I'll be honest, I've been going through that. I Every other day I go through that. But um, I think with this strike happening in particular, I think it's just a reminder of how much is out of my control when it comes mm. to 
when it comes to this field and this industry. Oh, yeah. And uh, it has forced me to reconnect with why I want to do this. And it's forced me to recalibrate my my brain uh, into understanding that I just love doing this. Yeah. yeah. And when the strike happened, there was this part of me that thought, oh, well, there goes auditions. There goes the the possibility of um the possibility of of working. I mean, there's there is like the financial aspect that does go away with with the strike happening. Right. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, but at the same time, with not having auditions and auditions not coming in, that's not something that I'm I'm not used to or that any other actors aren't used to. That's that's something that we're all pretty used to. Yeah. And I think that with that being a reality uh, from before the strike and now, whereas some people might be scared in terms of I'll never work again or I'll never, you know, um, and it's, I, I don't want to say that fear isn't valid. I think for me, because I've kind of gone through that before the strike happened mm-hmm. and it kind of forced me to work on projects with friends, to work with people that knew how to work a camera that knew how to do sound that were that were actors but said i'm going to help you out here and that's like and that's also like a shout out to to the people that i work with to make 1701 you know my friend emerson my friend hector uh my my dp garrett my my uh my composer david you know we all just we pull together the resources that we have yeah um you know the um my friend kelby who did who did makeup um the the person that did makeup for the third episode uh, you know you kind of learn to pull in your resources when things aren't coming to you and so now that the strike is happening again i know some people are scared but for me my thought was "Eh, well you know this is pretty much what i've been used to so you know back to making my own stuff you know oh yeah well (laughs) you know know, it it makes me think of uh it makes me think of stories like robert rodriguez who his big thing especially when he was getting started was what do I have? Okay, I've got access to a bus. Mm. I've got a guitar. Mm-hmm. I've got a mm-hmm. script. <laughs> I've got the money that I got from the experimentation that was done on me. <laughs> let's let's put all that. Let's put all that and make it make it make a movie. And he yes. did. And you know, of course, now he's you know head of you know Troublemaker Studios, and he is Robert Rodriguez. Right. Um, but you know looking at that sort of thing and i i want to get into i want to get into more of 1701 before we dive into the into yes. today's episode when you were thinking about starting 1701 was the process of okay i've got a b c d you know let's let's shape this into a thing was was that a was there a moment of that was an evaluation of like okay i've got this life story I've got this big collection of action figures. <laughs> Buddy of mine has a camera. I've got two friends that are, you know, going to be, you know, the Larry and Moe to my curly, uh, you know. What, <laughs> oh my uh, God. I, you know what? That is such a great, that is a, <laughs> oh my God. I was worried I was being insulting, but <laughs> no, not at all. And if you saw like the actual trio in action that it's based off of, yeah, or I should say the, the, the quad, the quad tro, cause it's four. Right. Um, there are four people like, if you saw us in action when we were younger, that is so, I'll tell you stories, but that's so accurate. Nice. <laughs> that is so accurate. 
but going back to that to that pre-production phase before you you know before 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 you went on stage with it because it was a stage production first it was correct? a stage production first yes so when you were you know before that happened what was the thought process of like of piecing it all together what was that you like know, for you it really was a little bit like what you were saying um so i when uh when the idea came about you know my my dad had said to me at one point you know what i think that you can do a you can do a solo show with us one day um or that you could do a solo show yeah. and i think i was still in college at that point and doing theater and i was like i doing a solo show was like wild to me i was like i don't know about that um and i also i enjoy doing poetry and spoken word poetry so um I would go and do some of my spoken word poetry at open mics at uh, this theater called the Long Beach Playhouse, mm. um, which a lot of my my college theater alumni work at, and both of two of them are now the the higher ups um, at the Ooh. Long Beach Playhouse now. Nice. Um, but anyway, I perform open mics there, and so the artistic director at the time said, "Hey, you know, have you thought about turning some of your poetry into a show?" And then I thought to myself, "You know, my dad talked about doing a show too," and my friend Sean who um, got, I think he got his degree in directing at Cal State Long Beach. And he directed me in a couple of shows in college, mm -hmm. uh, helped me kind of piece together what I had. And so what we did is we put on a list, uh, different life events, self-identifying life events that happened to me that kind of helped piece together who I was at that point in time. I think it was 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. um, and certain elements that, you know, I knew I was good at, love poetry got that um and you know the last the final element was star trek um because i was too nervous to to put it in i'll be honest i was too nervous to put it in um because i just thought okay i've i've got star trek and anytime that i can think of a very you know the self-identifying moment for me i can think of i can think of gynan i can think of q putting me through a trial i can think mm -hmm. of um I can think of me being Captain Kirk and uh, my friend Emerson being Spock and giving me this logical advice, but who's going to get that? I, I don't know if that's going to work. Um, but, you know, my friend Sean kind of encouraged me to just to go with it and see what happens. And so that's kind of how all of it started to tie together. And I had to, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, give myself permission to just go with the idea um, no matter how wild it was uh, or how wild it may have seemed to me and just see what happens and see what forms. Um, and that's, uh, that was kind of like the, the beginning of, of the process, like in terms of like the action figures and stuff, it's weird going from the show to, uh, doing the web series. Now, I think I take for granted, um, props because oh, yeah. <laughs> When I'm writing these episodes out and when I'm writing stuff that takes place in Matt's mind on the bridge of the Enterprise, you know, I can write in, you know, Matt pulls out a phaser and I'm not thinking, you know, I got to go to Amazon and I got to get this or I got to call someone for props. I'm just thinking, oh, I've got that in the garage. And so it was like, <laughs> you know, nice. it's like that's all I have to do because I've been accumulating this stuff either personally or, you know, through my parents buying me stuff for years <laughs> Um, so it's all there. Yeah. It is all there. Um, and when I filmed this latest episode, there's something that happens in the latest episode that requires phasers. And so, you know, I think of that, for example, where we're doing a scene, me and my friend Emerson is Spock. We're doing a scene where we have to protect 
the enterprise in yeah. in this scenario and anyway i just like i had my phaser and i walked on set and i said all right here's my phaser i'm like there's your phaser and it was just like you know it was just like a very easy like okay here's mine here's yours it's it, you know it wasn't the thought of like oh this was you know this is an you know from art asylum and you know this cost me forty dollars and i had to put this into the budget it was like nope here you go here you go yeah <laughs> like um so i think that's just uh i guess a testament to again using what you have and just letting yourself and your imagination go wild and really giving yourself permission i think the whole process about all of this because technically i guess from the show to the web series uh, 2012 to 2023 soon to be 24 mm. this has been oh my god 12 years of um just giving myself permission you know it's yeah. it, it's it's a it's a personal process yeah it's been a great process you know but yeah, yeah. well I, first of all thank you so much for sharing that and everybody if you haven't seen 1701 it's out there on youtube we're going to plug it again here at the end of this at the end of this episode but um it's so it's so much fun and mm-hmm. i really hope this continues to be you know a big uh a big project for you and it keeps going because i really am enjoying it uh but yeah let's uh so let's dive in uh we talked a little bit before about you um you know going out with folks on the strike you're you're there in hollywood so um What's it like? What's it been like out on the picket lines? You know, has there been, you know, has there been any issues or anything come up that you've seen that you can share? Uh, yeah. So I, I haven't been out to to picket yet. I'm going to be there on uh, on Friday, um, September 8th. There are going to be other uh, Trekkies that are going to be picketing outside of Paramount. And I saw that uh, that advertised because I'm a ways away from uh, from from Paramount. And so, mm. you know, Whereas, you know, other friends live so close by, they can just like, you know, hop in the car and go over. Yeah. I'm like, wait, just like give me two weeks and I'll have it in the budget to get gas so I can drive over. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just said to myself, you know, if there was ever a time to pick it, it would be great to do that with, you know, with fellow fans to go out there. Oh, yeah. Um, and I know that uh I guess by the time that this episode airs, you know, that the the picket will have already happened. But I know that Michael Kuda um, shared just a post of Trek is going out to picket on September 8th. But um, some things that I have heard and for listeners, please, please go look it up and confirm it because I don't want to put out rumors or anything that's false information. But I can't remember what lot it was, but there is an area specifically, I guess, where people are picketing or were picketing. And that area also happens to have a lot of trees mm. uh, to protect uh, just that shades the block and shades the area. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, all of a sudden there's those trees either have been or were scheduled to be cut down, uh, which Aww. is a very nasty. Yeah. Just a, oh, we can say it. That. We can say it. It's a <laughs> move. It's a <laughs> move to do stats. You know, I mean, but you know what? This is what we are. Um, this is the mentality that we're that we're dealing with, right? That we're yeah. that we're we're fighting against. You know, you've got people out there, uh, these higher ups that are talking about waiting until people lose their homes. Which why why would you like? You know, do you hear yourself? Y- yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you hear yourself? Are you, how, are you a how, Disney villain? Like. How cold are you? What is wrong with you? Yeah, jeez, <laughs> problem. 
Um, so, you know, there's just when you are trying to reason with someone that is so out of touch, I don't sometimes I don't know. I don't know yeah. how you reach that person. You know, you I don't know how you reach the humanity in, in that in that person or make them get back in touch with it. Yeah, it's. You know, being able to see things from you know, being able to walk a mile in someone else's shoes is such a, I mean, a cliche at this point, but like, it's really kind of important. It's so <laughs> like, important. Yeah. Or, you know, or it's like, if you're not willing to walk in them, just be willing to understand, hey, I haven't walked in them, so I don't quite know what's going on. Let me go ahead and yeah. let me go ahead and inquire. Let me ask. Let me yeah. be curious. Yeah, because uh, with with everything that's going on with the strike, um, you we mentioned before before we started recording that we're staring down the barrel of another quiet time in the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, we are. Um, it's probably going to be the better part. Probably going to be the better part of a year. A year at least. Once if we once everything that's already in the can is out. Yeah. Um, what are you doing in the meantime in terms of you know? your star trek ness and you know introducing others to it and things like that what what have you been doing uh to prepare for that (laughs) you know i think that i've been i think for one thing connecting with other fans Mm. i think that's been a big thing i've been to uh conventions and uh gatherings more than i have been in the last two years than have been i guess all of my star trek life Wow, And, you know, the more that I go to the conventions, like I just went to the Las Vegas convention, um, and, you know, the more I go to these things, I realize that, you know, Star Trek, it's about the, you know, for me, it's about the ideas. It is about the starships. I love starship porn. I just got to be honest. <laughs> um, Something about those ample nacelles. Those nacelles, that deflector dish. Oh, that shuttle bay. My God, what an aft. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's all the time we have on the computer zoom podcast that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great but you know it's you know yes it's about those things but it's also it is star trek is its people mm. and i feel like i'm referencing batman because maybe bruce wayne at one point said gotham is its people <laughs> so maybe that's what i'm pulling from that is a very batman line it's a very batman line but star trek is its people and you know you go to these conventions and you meet these beautiful, these beautiful souls, mm. um, these clever souls, these creative souls, these brilliant souls, such smart people. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, that's that's the most rewarding thing for me. And so I think that's what's filled in the space. I think um, reconnecting with some of my Star Trek nostalgia. When I went to the convention, uh, I brought uh, I bought a um, a Playmates Enterprise D that was released Uh like the Star Trek Generations version that's yeah. got like the the blow up pieces that come off. Like I remember buying one in 2002 off of eBay or should I say my dad bought it because I didn't have any money. I was a teenager. <laughs> um, and I remember getting one off of eBay and I don't think that the nacelles lit up. So I was really upset, but I stuck with it for years. And then when I went to this latest convention, I saw it sitting there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get it. I'm doing it. <laughs> and so now, you know, it's like, you know, in times like this, in times of the strike, um, in times where I have those artist doubts, you know what I'll do? I will fly around my enterprise and I'll feel a little bit better. I kid you not. Yeah. You know, I kid you not. 
There's been uh, a lot of things to jump into. Uh, you know, you can go to a local bookstore and find a section of nothing but Star Trek novels. Yes. You know, those well-loved, uh, cracked spines, dog-eared pages, well-loved uh, copies of those of those novels. One of my one of my favorites. One of my things that uh, I really cherish is my novelization of the of the TNG episode Relics, where they find Scotty. Interesting. And it is well. First of all, that re- that episode really tugs at my heartstrings because it reminds me of my grandmother who lived with us uh, for a while before she passed away. And uh, she had Alzheimer's and dementia and seeing my parents deal with my grandmother was very much like watching, you know, Jordy dealing with Scotty. Mm. And it, it, you know, it's a really interesting look at that type of thing of the older generation wanting to connect, but can't. And the, mm. the younger generation trying to be amiable, amiable, amicable. Amicable. amicable yeah um but you know there's that clash that that disconnect between the generations and it, it's just a really fascinating story and reading the novelization you're getting the director's cut you're getting all the little things that unfortunately yes. hit the cutting room floor and man those those are great if yeah if you know i mean we're, we are continuing to cover episodes here amidst the strike um just for you know it was a it was a debate about whether or not to stay on schedule or you know what we're doing here right but right yeah if you're you know hardcore supporting the strike and still need your star trek fix novelizations they're out there and you can find them and they're not very expensive and they are a really fun thing to have on your shelf um when it's all said and done um, but yeah, I wanted to I wanted to see if because they made a they made a big deal here uh, a few days ago as we're recording this about yeah. somebody flying you know a plane yeah banner hashtag safe hashtag Star Trek prodigy Star Trek prodigy yeah uh, for I remember I can remember exactly where I was I was in Riverside Iowa the home of Captain James T Kirk yes uh, in a local restaurant there and scrolling through my phone. And saw and saw the news, and my heart shattered. <laughs> I was like, "No, why? <laughs> this is so good." And I mean, okay, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna cancel it, okay, fine, it sucks, but I get it. But to take it off the streaming service now, now truckers who invested in CBS All Access when it was CBS All Access, right? That's right, yeah, Access, yeah. Um, because it was the big selling point was we're gonna have everything star trek all in one place like that's what we've wanted for decades long time (laughs) a long time (laughs) and now to have it for a minute and then to have it taken away like uh, you know has there been any thoughts in terms of like the strike and the cancellation of prodigy you know how is that hitting you as a fan i think i think it hits me i mean on one hand it hits me as a fan because any Star Trek I'm going to watch, uh, any character that we get some follow-up on, I'm going to be curious about and I'm going to want to know what happened. Mm-hmm. I think it hits me even more as an artist because I know I know Prodigy is a, is a great show. Yeah. It's a great show. Um, and it, it's painful as an artist to watch 
great work go unseen or be unappreciated. Yeah. When you know, when you know the work, when you know that the people behind the scenes work hard and genuinely appreciate the material and love the material that they're putting out there, you can see it in the work. Mm -hmm. And so when it, you know, when that work gets taken away or when that work is not appreciated, the artist in me hurts. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know if I can talk about this. Um, I, I can cut it out if you decide later. <laughs> okay. But, you know, I think I think about Picard as well. Um, this third season of Picard, I think about how, I mean, the, the Emmy nominations went up. Mm. And, you know, I all respect to the shows that have been nominated um i i genuinely think that picard this third season was snubbed big time yeah. um it's not and and you know and it's not like you know the the other other seasons of of star trek were also great as well and star trek has always deserved more than what it's gotten in yeah. in, in that arena um i guess because i'm older now and because i've been trying to tell my own stories and do stuff and, you know, when I see the work put in and when I see the work like really put in in the, 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 the script, the artwork, the music, every everybody working behind the scenes, the actors, when I see the appreciation and the love for the work really go in, I mean, really go in yeah. um, the story uh and and you know if you're thinking about it just from the perspective of people watching people really watched people watched i got you know my mom my mom and i you know my mom has been here and there watching some of the new trek but uh i really wanted to watch this one with her because this is this is how i got introduced to star trek she's she's the one that showed me yeah you know star trek and got me into like that that last i guess when i was old enough to understand what i was watching that last season of of tng mm -hmm. Um, and so when this last season came out and we get to see everybody together again, I wanted to share that with her because she started me on it. And so I knew that I wanted to, sh to have that with her. So there's this other element of, um, in one way, maybe it's nostalgia, but it's just, uh, it tugs on your heartstrings as well. Oh yeah. Um, so I say all that to say, I think that, you know, I think Picard was genuinely snubbed, uh, in every in every way <laughs> with this emmy season and it's just star trek has always been taken for granted but there was something about this season uh and it not getting nominated which just felt so personal <laughs> yeah maybe it's just me but there was something there that i was like mm, something about this really doesn't sit right but i say all that to say in regards to prodigy that when you know that the work is there yeah. and you know it's great work yeah and it gets um it doesn't get acknowledged. It's it's extra painful. There's there's a special pain there. Not yeah. uh, not special pain, but I don't know what the right word. Is. A very specific pain. Yes. Yeah. 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 As we've been we've been lucky enough to have Bonnie Gordon on the show a couple times, and what a delight! Just yeah, <laughs> and and such a talent. Holy crap! Yeah. Like <laughs> and couldn't be a sweeter person. Um, but yeah, you know, looking at that third season of Picard, where it's kind of like you know genre stuff. Genre stuff's always been kind of dismissed, swept swept aside. Right. It's hard to ignore the technical, just the technical achievements of season three of Picard. Yes. And you've got these at this point legendary figures 
Star Trek aside, Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, Patrick Stewart. Like yeah. these are all these are all legendary figures <laughs> in the industry. Then like that's your core. Then you've got people who come back like Seven of Nine. Then you've got Ro Loren, you know, all these wonderful people. Then you've got people who from out of nowhere, Amanda Plummer, holy crap, Todd Stashwick. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like I just, could, I could watch his speech in the bar every day for the rest of my I, life. It's amazing. I swear, <laughs> I'm telling you just for, just for actors. I mean, the, the opening, the introduction, the introductory scene of, um, of, of, oh my God, I'm forgetting the captain's name now. Um, Shaw. Of, of Captain Shaw, that introductory scene was just such a, oh, it was a beautiful performance. And just, I don't know, as an actor, just, I don't know, just watch it. Just watch it. It's such a good scene. Yeah. It is <laughs> such a really good scene. The subtleties, <laughs> the, the subtleties in the performance. There's something that Todd does, which was like the button on his moment where, you know, he tells Picard and Riker, no, we're not taking the ship into this area of space mm -hmm. and at the end of the scene he gets up he starts to walk out of uh, i don't know if it's it's is it the captain's quarters or because i know there's like a dining table there. yeah i think it's captain's there's mess like, yeah captain's mess he gets up and he walks out and there's one moment which was such a oof it gave me chills uh but he pats Riker on the shoulder and he walks out the the shoulder pat was the button Oof. on that scene it was just the, it's the details it's the small little stuff that's so delicious to watch yeah um yeah and that's just going off what you said about you know watching todd stashwick and yeah let's let's continue this um this feast of stashwick love here for just another minute um yeah. you know for, first of all that scene that you just talked about he you know let's look at it from a story perspective picard Riker, in terms of starfleet history they are living legends. They're it. Nobody, nobody would dispute it. And Shaw shuts them down with one word. And it's yes. like turns, turns that table and just, and you mentioned him patting the shoulder. My, the, you know, I mentioned the scene, his speech in the bar. Yeah. Which on paper alone, the words just, oh my God, brain. I, I don't audibly react to star trek a lot yeah but when he gave the reveal of how he knows picard oh it got an ocean <laughs> out of me and mm. it almost come off the couch of like oh, oh <laughs> and, and my wife goes what's wrong i was just like buckle up here it comes and he goes into the whole thing and by the end of it it just jaws on the floor but you mentioned the shoulder pat Yes. I watch Stashwick's hands in that scene and what he's doing, what he's doing there at the bar. Man, like I said, I'd watch that scene every day for the rest of my life. It is so good. And it's he's got all these, this little bit of business that he's doing with his hands. It's, oh man. It's an, it is an act. It's an acting class. It's, yeah. you know, and it's the specificity because, oh God, who is it? I think it's Russell Crowe that said that he, or is it Anthony Hopkins? Uh, one of those actors said something about understanding the character down to their fingertips. Um, great. What a great thought process that is. <laughs> and that's to me, that's just the example of like every, all of your extremities just yeah. 
in character knowing what to do it's because i mean it makes you think because i mean he's not made it a secret about the way he approached captain shaw as a former mechanic like so he's he's very tactile you know and yes yeah and just whoa just so good uh todd stashwick if you hear this we absolutely adore you <laughs> you are a national treasure you are sir You're a national and we, treasure. And we salute you <laughs> yes so now that we've uh now that we've been recording for almost two hours let's talk about our episode today <laughs> yes let's get into it. um so uh here we are we are beyond hip deep we are up to our neck of season two discovery and it has been revealed the red angel and it's uh we've got a lot of stuff happening here um before we get into spoiler territory take us uh take us through your thought process upon revisiting this episode and the red angel mystery like how did all this hit you on uh, on the rewatch you know it's interesting because this is my first time rewatching it since at least since the year that it came out, which I guess mm. was like 2018. Or yeah, 19? season two. It started in 2017, so this must have been 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think for one, Michael Burnham goes through so much. But also, I think one of the things I really enjoyed was watching the the sibling um, dynamic between Spock and, and Michael Burnham. Yeah. And how... I mean, it would have been fun to see because we get a little glimpse of how they were as children, mm-hmm. um, I guess, in some of the the previous episodes. But to see, I guess, where it ends up more or less present day for them oh, yeah. um, is so it is such a joy to watch. I mean, the the moment that I, I really enjoyed is where Leland says to Michael Burnham, you know, I knew your parents and this is what they were working on. And this is what they were part of. Yeah. And. Michael Burnham breaks his nose, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cut to, I guess, the next scene or two scenes later where uh, Michael is just working on her. Um, working on the cardio. Manah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like doing her cardio. She's doing her Vulcan martial arts, working it out, um, just working out the rage. And so Spock just comes in, you know, and he says in his own words, you know, I don't think that you should have broken his nose, but I kind of wish that I was there when you did it. <laughs> and, you know, it's like that little dynamic, that little bit, you know, of oh, just yeah. seeing the play between these two was just so, uh, so delicious. I also like seeing the beginnings of, of um, more or less, I mean, you get to see it at the end of season one of Discovery, mm-hmm. but you get to see the care that this Giorgio has for Michael Burnham yeah. as well. Uh, especially in, you know, I guess in this episode where Michael Burnham says, hey, I have to die to bring the Red, the red Angel over and I'm going to suffocate myself. <laughs> um, and, you know, Giorgio jo- jo- jo has that moment with her where she's like trying, she holds on to her saying, don't do this, don't go. Yeah. Um, and so we just see more of that relationship. Um, and I really enjoyed, I enjoyed that. Um, I also, I thought it was interesting because, you know, tonally we've got Discovery and then we've got Strange New Worlds, which is, it's a lighter tone. Same characters, lighter tone. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see um, Pike in more of a uh, decision-making, you know, we're up against the clock, no nonsense, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's warm in the beginning and not to say that he's cold throughout the show at all, but you know, he's, he's warm in the beginning, you know, he's got to, to get the trust of the crew and to let them know, Hey, you know, I'm not Lorca. I'm, you know, I'm a good man. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting to see this version of Pike in strange new worlds, who's really under the gun, like we got to get stuff done. And then to see him in strange new worlds where, uh, not every, every minute is, is life or death. Yeah. And, you know, a moment against the clock. So seeing the two versions of the character was interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, we mentioned we mentioned before we started to roll that Pike has taken a really interesting journey um, from uh, from season two and now uh, from season two of Discovery through season two so far of Strange New Worlds. Let me go back for just a second because uh, you mentioned the siblings and the sibling yeah. interaction. Do you have any siblings? I do not. I do not have any siblings. I um, I'm I'm the youngest of three and oh yeah (laughs) and i remember uh you know there was a very i mean because mom and dad had us all kind of generations apart so while i am the youngest of three Mm -hmm. i was also still kind of raised very much as a as an only child so i have a little Mm. bit of both um but i remember you know the very distinct relationship between uh myself and my two brothers and how that's progressed over the years and watching, you know, Spock and Burnham in their progression from when Ethan Peck first hits, you know, camera as Spock, which how hard is that guy killing it? Like as Spock, he's amazing. Then you're, you are doing your thing, sir. You yeah. well done. Well done. And looking at, you know, knowing that they are both children of two different worlds, but how they interact together. And I look at the relationship that I have with my brothers have with my brothers mm-hmm. and the different versions it's gone through with me as, you know, there's 13 years between me and my next brother. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hanging out with my brother as a four-year-old when he's watching David Letterman, Saturday Night Live, Kids in the mm-hmm. Hall, and listening to hair bands of the 80s sort of shaped who I am today. And, you know, now that I'm almost 40, <laughs> um, you know, the relationship is very different and we've, we've all grown. Right. And right. Uh, th- those are really interesting things, uh, really interesting things to look at. Uh, you mentioned Leland getting punched and rightly getting punched. <laughs> and because it's my show, I've got a story for you. Oh, oh so oh, my, uh, years ago, uh, I want to say 2000, 2006 to 2008, around in there, I was working at Greenville County Detention, it's the local county jail here okay. in Greenville. And I was working in uh, central, uh, central control, basically the control room for the biggest building in the facility. Um, the shift before us, I was on third shift. So second mm-hmm. shift had a, an incident go down. Where okay. an inmate had come back from court with bad news. Um, bad news being you're going to prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> so understandably upset, inmate comes back and wants to call his family, let him know how yeah. how court went. Yeah. At that point, we were in count. And when a facility like that counts the inmates, it is full stop on everything. 
to make sure everybody everybody is here, can be everything okay yeah to make sure that <laughs> things are running as they should yeah and understandably like that's it's a security thing it happens three times a day once on every shift so the inmate comes back we're in count they want to make a phone call and lieutenant who was a lieutenant that did not garner favor with many people um with many mm. of the officers like a lot of officers oh no didn't particularly care for this lieutenant <laughs> he was that bad yeah um the inmate wanted to make a phone call. Lieutenant stood in his way, said, no, you're going to sit. We're going to count after count, whatever. <laughs> this lieutenant proceeded to get in this inmate's face. Just to recap, an older lieutenant past his prime, I'll say past his prime, is going is going toe to toe with someone who just got sentenced to life. How do you think that interaction ended? <laughs> oh, no. At one point, they're standing face to face. And then, because I had the, because I was in the control room, I had access to the video camera footage. Yeah, yeah. I watched that footage all night long. <laughs> <laughs> Not only for me, but because every officer on shift came through and said, hey, uh, you got the footage of, I was like, yep, sure do. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> um, at one point, they're toe to toe, face to face. Yeah. And then at some point in the conversation, you see the inmate drop that one foot back. Uh oh. And like I had a martial arts, I still have a, mar I have a martial arts background. I've seen that move before. I'm like, the foot, here it comes. <laughs> I, he laid him out with one punch, just bam. I'd, I'd never seen somebody hit so hard all my life. Oh my God. And the area of the facility where it happened, there's usually a minimum of half a dozen officers. It took a second before the officers got there. Oh my God. That shouldn't have happened. Oh my God. Because you know, every officer was in there going, he is right. That LT is writing a check. His ass can't cash. Here it comes. <laughs> I, oh, I, I, so delicious. <laughs> I, you know what? I, and listeners, we are no way, we are not advocating violence. Nope, nope, not advocating violence, but... When you and I will your... say sometimes, yeah. some people just need to get got. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Yeah. Sometimes, some people just need to get got. And you know, got, sometimes got. you sometimes you learn the hard way. You it, That's, I, honestly, that's exactly what it is. And yep. that's, that's not even a joke. It, some people just have to learn the hard way because it just doesn't register. Yeah. And because because looking back at it, it, you know, for officers and, you know, and I've done a lot to put my off the officer chapter of my life behind me. Yeah, but some yeah. things some things aren't going anywhere. Mm. But one of the things they teach you is kind of like situational awareness of like, all right, let's uh, let's take into account the totality of the circumstances here. You know, inmates in the facility, he'd have to go through three two inch steel doors to go anywhere. Just yeah. let him make yeah. a phone call. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like at the end of the day, did we count him? Well, he's right there on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Chalk it up. Like chalk it up. Hey, look, I understand what happened. We're in count. Here's the phone. Just, yeah. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Stay by the phone. You know, there was a, there were, there were a hundred ways that situation could have been without it. violence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but you know it goes back to those those memes online of just like <laughs> i woke up today and chose violence somebody did <laughs> somebody somebody did right and it's like you never quite and you know because now i'm thinking about that officer mm-hmm. you know for for every you know no matter how bad you think you are you know there is always someone better oh yeah and it's just with some of these people that just don't learn you know i just i think about the person that they will run across that they happen to to get on the right day mhm mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know there's like some people say i had time today oh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like when you run into that person that has the time today to tell you off to to do whatever you know i just you ready you ready for another batman reference <laughs> joker once said you are one bad day away from being me that is scary because it is 100 accurate (laughs) it's so true yeah (laughs) and you don't know you don't know who it could be no it does not behoove anybody to be mean or mean-spirited to anyone else really like it doesn't benefit anyone don't do it (laughs) don't do it just especially like if you are making an active choice to be like it's different if you don't know it but if you're making an active choice to be mean oh that takes effort that takes work that takes calculation that that's that's a whole other level yeah just yeah don't do it don't do it let's you know moving forward let's take a look because you mentioned about Giorgio and you know still kind of trying to remain spoiler free here yeah let's talk about for a minute about the relationship of empress former empress former emperor she prefers emperor uh former emperor Giorgio with prime burnham let's talk about that relationship for a second because it's really fascinating it's so fascinating. I mean, we get, I can't remember if we see any of it. We, I guess we hear about it a little bit in season one that uh, Mayor Burnham tried to kill, uh, tried to kill Emperor Giorgio. And so we know that that's there. Um, we don't quite, and I guess maybe there's a little bit of talk about, there's a little bit of talk as well about, um, about what that Burnham meant to Emperor Giorgio, because I think uh, there was a scene in season one with um, Mirror uh, Giorgio and an our Michael Burnham. Yeah, about about the relationship that she had with other Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we get to see it there, but we don't really we don't really see it manifest itself. Like we get that last uh, moment in season one, in the last episode of season one, where um, uh, Emperor Giorgio's got a phaser to. Uh, to Michael Burnham, mm. I guess before someone's got, oh, I can't remember who had the device. Was it Michael Burnham that had the device or was it someone's got a device and they're going to use it? I think on the Jordan. Con- yeah. Giorgio had the device, yes. but it was Burnham who had to convince her that giving the device to Laurel as a form of control, right? That it was a, that it was a better, that it was a better scenario. It was a better scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And what so a, what a uh, tense scene. <laughs> And Giorgio's got that phaser to Michael Burnham. And so yep. Michael Burnham's like, you're going to have to, you're going to have to kill me. And so it's a very small moment, but you just see Giorgio try to hold on to, you know, hold on to that determination. 
and then you just see and i love it and i love the way that uh michelle yo does it it's so delicious but she just holds it she holds it and then she just she goes Ugh. and she rolls her eyes and just moves the face <laughs> <all> away <laughs> like but but that little moment just says you know i love you too much i'm not gonna do this <laughs> you know that's that's what that little moment was to me yeah um you know and so we we get to see more of it more of it here and expressed even more so um with the uh can i can i talk about the episode this episode's uh stuff that happens he listen i i've got a bunch of more a bunch more stuff that's going to get into spoiler territory so before we go any further yes let's get to this week's recap okay <laughs> brought to you in part by our patreon supporters rev j jerry antimano cosmic crit kitty b and david willett spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert there are so many reasons to join starfleet we get to reach for the stars we get to reach for the best in ourselves we get to reach for each other In the turbo lift after Arium's funeral, Tyler and Burnham exchange apologies and condolences. In the ready room, Pike, Saru, Burnham, Spock, and Cornwell review what they know. Burnham begins by explaining that the AI that infected Arium and forced her to copy the sphere's data to control was from the future! Cornwell asks how the Section 31 program designed to eliminate threats became the threat. Spock answers, with time travel. Saru adds that so far as they know, the future AI infected only Arium and Control. Pike believes the AI could have transmitted off-station and could re-emerge. Tilly enters, saying she found Project Daedalus, a file containing a bioneural signature of the Red Angel, and the signature is that of Michael Burnham. And on that note, we cue the music. sickbay, Colbert confirms Tilly's discovery, Burnham's 100% match to the bioneural signature in the Project Daedalus data file. Spock is convinced, but Cornwell is skeptical. Pike's still struggling to accept that their Burnham is going to wake up, access time travel tech, and save the galaxy. Spock articulates that that course of action fits Burnham's emotional profile, citing her drive to take responsibility for situations beyond her control. Pike believes the reason the Angel is projecting the red bursts may be a warning to Starfleet. Before they can speculate further, Saru calls to inform Pike and Cornwell that a Section 31 vessel is inbound. In the transporter room, Leland and Giorgio beam aboard just as Cornwell and Pike enter. Leland offers his condolences to Pike before explaining that they'd arrived to ensure nothing else from The FUTURE could attack the Federation. Cornwell says, they're already working on a strategy, to which Giorgio is skeptical. Leland says they have a problem, as the Angel is the only one with knowledge of the future. It's imperative that they capture it. Team Disco reveals to Team Section 31 that Burnham's the Angel. 
Leland is adamant about preventing further time travel and explains that 20 years earlier, Section 31 learned the Klingons were researching time travel, which would have allowed them to wipe out humanity before they existed. Section 31 developed Daedalus, a very familiar-looking exosuit, the same worn by the Angel. Before it could be tested, it was destroyed by Klingons. Sucks! So the project was abandoned, until the signals began to appear. Great! Burnham notes several gaps in Leland's story. Leland says he's told her everything she needs to know. Giorgio adds she has the specs and other data to build the trap. Pike tells her to work with Stamets. Spock points out the matter of predicting the angel's next appearance. Burnham believes there must be a pattern. Leland will work on a way to close the wormhole when she arrives. Saru offers to help. Walking through the corridors, Burnham demands to know from Giorgio what she isn't being told about Daedalus. Giorgio admits that Leland's the only one who has the info Burnham wants. In engineering, Stamets, Tilly, and Giorgio learn the angel's suit has a protective membrane that uses graviton beams to anchor it to the angel's home timeline. And when the angel wishes to return home, the membrane snaps her back like a rubber band. Tilly adds that their phase discriminators would keep the angel in stasis, an EMP would shut down the time crystal, and a containment field would hold her in place. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Stamets explains a problem with the phase discriminators. They need the power equivalent of 12 warp cores. Giorgio reveals that a Daedalus test site was on ESOF 4, which was rich in deuterium that would provide all the power he'd need. In the science lab, Saru and Leland review the wormhole data. Saru remarks that Discovery's graviton beam wasn't powerful enough to close the wormholes. Leland impatiently says that's why he planned to do it on his ship and have Tyler help him. He then asks if Pike felt that he needed a chaperone. Saru replies that he volunteered because with the lives of his friends at risk, he wanted to assess if Leland could be trusted and accuses Section 31 of questionable practices. Leland retorts that if he could tell that by looking at him, he wasn't doing his job right. At that moment, Burnham enters and asks for a private word with Leland. She confronts Leland about his intricate moral gymnastics, saying that since they were coming up with a plan to essentially capture Burnham herself, she needed to know everything. What do you mean everything? Everything! Leland admits Burnham's parents had been assigned to work on Daedalus for Section 31. Burnham asks what Leland had to do with it. He explains that the suit was missing the time crystal, and that an operative on Quonos had discovered a crystal was being sold on the black market near an Orion outpost. Leland's assets stole it, thinking it untraceable, but the Klingons were able to track it to the outpost and killed Burnham's parents. Burnham is shaken to tears of both grief and anger. Leland tries to explain and apologize. Enraged, Burnham punches him in the face twice and warns that this isn't over, before leaving him bloodied on the floor. Near the data core, Burnham confronts Tyler, who just uploaded all the Section 31 data, and demands to know if he knew Leland had been responsible for her parents' death. Tyler denies that he knew and concedes that he doesn't always agree with their tactics, but he believes in their mission. Burnham takes that as a yes and storms away. Culber gets a long-overdue therapy session and breakthrough with former therapist Cornwell in her quarters. 
In the ship's gymnasium, Burnham takes out her anger on a boxing dummy as Spock enters, commenting that Leland likely appreciated her taking out her anger on the high-density urethane foam in lieu of his nasal cartilage. Burnham tells him that he's the last person she wants to speak to at that moment. Spock can see she's angry and admits that he wished he'd been present when Burnham punched Leland, as he would have found the experience satisfying. Burnham admits Spock was right about her need to take the blame on herself for everything and that she'd brought that guilt into his home and apologizes. Spock reminds her she was a child. With a child's understanding of events, even adults struggled to comprehend. However, if it would help ease Burnham's suffering, he would accept her apology. When asked why he'd come, Spock reveals he discovered the reason behind the variance in the angel's patterns, why it chose to appear at certain times, but not in others, and that Burnham herself was the variance. Burnham and Spock explain to Pike that they could just set the trap directly on Esau 4. Spock explains that the three signals Discovery encountered brought them somewhere that lives were saved. The survivors of the USS Hiawatha, the human colony on Terralesium, and the Kelpians on Kaminar. The angel appeared at some of those locations, but not all. However, there was a pattern to the angel's appearances with no signal, like when Spock was a boy, and it warned him Burnham was in danger, and when Burnham saw it after being injured on the asteroid, giving her strength knowing help was coming. In essence, the grandfather paradox. Future Burnham would not be able to exist if the present Burnham was killed. Burnham now believes that she must be the bait for the mousetrap. Esau 4 has no breathable atmosphere. They would set up the trap and then let Burnham go down with no protection and start to suffocate. Both Giorgio and Pike adamantly refuse. Spock insists that the angel would protect Burnham. Colbert would be on hand to resuscitate her. Burnham doesn't like the idea any more than Pike, but both she and Spock believe it's the only way. Pike tells her what she's suggesting is against the oath he took as a captain. But Burnham replies if the choice was between her life and all sentient life in the galaxy, there's no choice at all. The two ships enter orbit around Esau 4. Down on the surface, Giorgio asks Burnham if she's ready. Burnham confirms and asks why Giorgio didn't just tell her about her parents. Giorgio replies it was not her story to tell, but she could make sure it was told. Burnham enters the chamber accompanied by Spock, while Giorgio worriedly looks on. Pike expresses his hope that the angel lived up to her name. Leland reports they'd close the wormhole the moment the angel appeared. Burnham seats herself in the chair, and Spock straps her in, enters the control room, and seals the airlock. She gives the word, and Stamets shuts down life support, opens the roof letting in the toxic atmosphere, and Giorgio starts the timer. Burnham screams in agony as her skin begins to burn, and soon begins gasping for air. Aboard Discovery, Cornwell asks Tilly if there are any spikes of tachyon radiation. When Tilly reports no change, then asks if the angel was even going to come. From the control room, Stamets, Culber, and even Giorgio are ready to rescue Burnham. Spock pulls a phaser on them, explaining that Burnham was the variance and she was creating a situation where the angel would have no choice but to intervene. From Discovery, Pike furiously orders Spock to stand down, but Spock refuses as Burnham lets out a last gasp before flatlining. 
Pike orders Owosakun to beam Burnham to sickbay, but she can't get a lock due to interference. A red burst appears, heralding the arrival of the angel. Leland orders his helm to intercept. As the angel flies to the surface, the micro-wormhole lets out a massive electromagnetic burst that briefly disrupts systems on both ships. Tyler's unable to get enough power to activate the graviton beam, as Leland moves to deactivate the security buffer. Inside the facility, the angel descends, firing a burst of energy into Burnham that brings her back to life. How convenient! Giorgio orders Stamets to activate the phase discriminators. In his ready room, Leland tries to override the security buffer using a retinal scanner, to which the computer begins emulating his voice before a needle pierces his eyeball, knocking him to the floor. Though clearly incapacitated, Leland's voice sounds on the comm, telling Tyler he has all the power he needs now. <gasps> Tyler activates the beam, closing the wormhole. In the facility, Stamets re-engages the atmosphere. As the angel's feet touch the ground, Stamets activates the EMP. The suit's wings retract, and the occupant seemingly falls through the suit and to the ground in front of Burnham. Stamets reports that they have the angel and activates the containment field. Slowly regaining lucidity after her near-death experience, Burnham looks up upon the face of the red angel and speaks one single shocked word. Mom? Come! So, yeah, go ahead and uh, finish your thought before before we uh, took the break. Go for it. <laughs> go for so it. <laughs> we see the love that Emperor Giorgio has for uh, has for our Michael Burnham mm -hmm. uh, manifest itself even more uh, with this plan that has been uh, that has been created to to capture the Red Angel. Mm -hmm. And Michael Burnham says, you know, I, I have to die. And the Red Angel is is not going to to let me die. So we, we have to lure we have to lure her in. Mm -hmm. um and so uh michael burnham is about to you know go in and walk off uh into to sit in the chair i, I can't remember the the exact science behind what they're trying to do yeah but yeah you know basically the uh the, the grandfather the grandfather paradox like if you if you die you're, yes. you can't exist in the future yeah 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 so michael burnham is basically walking off to go die mm -hmm. and you know Giorgio has this moment with her where she she physically holds on to her and she's like, I, I can't, I can't let, I can't let you go. I can't let you do this. Yeah. Um. And so we just see more of that. We see more of that relationship pan out. Yeah. And you know, I think, and as much as we see it, uh, on Emperor Giorgio's end, I mean, we also obviously see it on the opposite end as well, because Michael Burnham also sees the person that Emperor Giorgio can be from working under her Giorgio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is is very sweet to see, which is which is why, you know, in season one, that's why she brings her over to to the prime timeline. Yeah. You know, to begin with. Um, and there's this interesting it's another, you know, mother daughter, at least that's the way that I see it, mother daughter, mentor, student relationship that forms here as well. Yeah. Um Especially, I mean, not to spoil anything that happens later on with this show, but, you know, we have a moment where something is happening to the emperor that uh, the emperor has not disclosed and doesn't want to talk about. And we find out later on that this is something that's happening to her. Uh -huh. And Michael Burnham has a moment with Emperor Giorgio where she says, why didn't you come to me? You could have told me this. Why didn't you tell me? I didn't know you were going through this. Yeah. And so I like, as as interesting as it would have been to see 
our Giorgio, prime Giorgio, um, and see how that relationship formed. I like seeing the conflict and the building of this relationship. It's so much more interesting to watch yeah. form. And I appreciate it more because yeah. it's kind of coming from a, a place where they have to fight for it for a little bit. And, you know, and I guess that's, you know, good storytelling, right? You got to have some conflict to have some good storytelling. So Yeah, it's so interesting to hear, you know, if you go back and, you know, watch, you know, some of the documentary series uh, that or documentary films about Star Trek, of which there's no shortage of those, um, you hear about Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future where there's no problems, there's no issues and all that stuff. That makes for some really boring storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> and I always, you know, I always kind of wonder, you know, if Gene were still around today, what would he think? And, mm. you know, at, the, at at this point, I, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know, but I think, yeah. I think he'd be, I think he'd have to be proud of, the longevity if nothing else i think he would and i think <clears throat> you know when i when i think about gene and i mean his his ideas for one mm. um there there is a truth in his ideas mm. there's a truth in in itic there is a there's a truth in seeing many people of, of color uh serving on a starship together there's a truth a diversity yeah the diversity, the the allegories, talking about the issue of the week, talking about the civil rights in the heat of in the heat of the the moment, in the heat of what was going on, talking about the Vietnam War in the heat of what was going on. Um, there is a truth and an honesty to that. And you know, there while there is the, the the principle that he had of of no conflict and showing that people were more evolved, I mean that I think that maybe that that could also come from a time period of of 1960s style storytelling oh, of yeah. even early 80s storytelling mm -hmm. um you know by the time we get to like early 90s mid 90s with deep space nine we we get to more more conflict um but again i think the through line with the themes that gene roddenberry pushed in star trek to the kind of storytelling that we have now is there's just more honesty. It's just more honest. You know, that's the thing is like those themes haven't gone away. They're still there. It's just we're more honest and we're more transparent about about it. And it, it, there's more detail. There's more nuance in how we're approaching these stories. And there's honesty in that nuance. So I I hope that if he were to see where Star Trek is now, that he would embrace that. Maybe not. But in my mind, I see I see honesty in the details in the in the in the storytelling and the mm. conflict there's more honesty there yeah i think you're absolutely right uh, knowing that he had lived quite a life um which if 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 gene roddenberry for anybody listening if gene roddenberry is just kind of this figure you know and you know that he created star trek do yourself a favor go read his wikipedia page it is fascinating yeah. <laughs> the life the life lived long before star trek and knowing that that's what he brought to create star trek mm. and then seeing how far star trek has come i gotta think that he must be proud hell you know eugene roddenberry his son has done a great job of continuing to foster the ideas yeah. the truths the yeah. uh, all the good stuff that makes it really really good 
he's continued that on and he's continued that legacy. Thank, you know, thank goodness, you know, that he's, that he's been as involved as he has been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some really, some really interesting truths that are explored and right off the bat in this episode, we see everybody kind of display their truth for a moment at the funeral of Arium. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, you know, I love, I love weddings, you know, not to sound like Captain, you know, not to sound like Captain Jack Sparrow or anything. I love weddings, drinks all around. <laughs> um, but as I get older, I'm starting to love funerals just as much, just because everybody kind of for a second cracks open their own armor and, mm. you know, lets some of it out to say goodbye. Mm. Um, I know earlier this year uh, we had a death in the family and it was it was really hard. It was really hard to be in the room and knowing that emotions were riding so high. Um, some good, some bad, but it was all out. Mm. And uh, that's always a very tricky place to be in. Um, I mentioned, oh, well, okay. So to pull the curtain back for folks, um, I'm actually recording this episode out of order with other things that I've already recorded. So some of my memories are a little bit jumbled. Uh, I'm a temporal agent. What can I say? Um, <laughs> but in a few episodes, I talked with uh, Jim Johnson from Modifius Entertainment about the day I graduated Police Academy. Mm. And it was, Police Academy was very, very difficult. A um, lot, of, lot of mental, physical, emotional stress, you know, to get mm. through. Yeah. So we, you know, we walk on the stage, we get our, you know, certifications and we are, we are law enforcement officers. Hoorah. And so, you know, chief comes the badge, the whole thing. It's great. You know, you just graduated. Wonderful. Outside of the uh, facility, there's a bunch of parents, guests, friends, you know, everyone that came to watch the graduation ceremony. Yeah. And I met a woman um, from our jurisdiction who was the wife of a fallen officer. Hmm. And, uh, you know, our class had raised money for the family because they had, you know, a couple of kids and, and, you know, lost their primary source of income <laughs> in addition to having the worst thing imagined, worst thing imaginable happen to a family. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember what I, I don't remember what I said, but I know I introduced myself, said hello and, and the whole thing. And I'll never forget her looking at me saying, please be careful. Oh my God. And it, that I will hear that echo in my skull till the day I die. Oh my God. <laughs> Look, and, and what do you say? <laughs> and, and I, I looked at her as those words sank into my soul and just said, Yes, ma'am. I will. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, how old were you? Uh, let's see. I would have been, this was 2010. So uh, 12 years ago, I was in my, I was in my early, I was in my early thirties. You're still a baby. 30s. Yeah. You're still a baby. And just. Oh my God. It, it, I mean, it was, to be honest, those words, it wouldn't have mattered how old I was. It just, I, like I, I said, mean, yeah, my it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, <clears throat> and uh, I, I count myself very lucky that 
I never had to be on duty during mm. during a fallen officer incident. Yeah. That I never had to attend the funeral of a fallen officer. Um, but when I look at the memorial that is taking place at the beginning of this episode in yeah. the hangar bay, you know, over Arium. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe they can, you know, save some of her memories and have it. And I was just like, based on what happened, no, nothing. They can't. It's that's it. It's it. It's gone. That's it. And it was just, it was really, really <laughs> sobering. It was really sobering. I didn't know if you had any thoughts about the funeral, the things people say. Saru sings this beautiful, this beautiful song of remembrance. Uh, any thoughts about the funeral? I think um, with the exception of DS9 and maybe a little bit of Voyager, we don't really get to have those moments where we have some recognition for for you know for the officer officers mm -hmm. that have been lost i mean we we do it here and there i, I think we did it we did it with um uh, we did it with ds9 i think the episode was called the sound of her voice mm -hmm. i mean granted we didn't lose uh we didn't lose that captain um in combat she like they found out she passed a long time ago but there was a wake you know there was a wake for her yeah um and so i think for me it was just watching the crew kind of be affected affected by the loss because we i don't know i'm not sure not sure how often we really get to see it I, you know i could be wrong i could be wrong maybe there are other other times but for some reason um it just hit me here um just um just watching that yeah i uh i remember i remember exactly where i was um when i heard leonard nimoy passed away oh and yeah. it is it is the first celebrity death that brought me to tears. Um, I remember, of course, as soon as the news hit, there were articles everywhere. Yeah. And in each article <laughs> was the video clip of his funeral in Wrath of God. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. And it, like, oh, as if man. it, as if it wasn't sad enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the one you guys are going to pick. Man. No. And, then, and then to hear, to hear the bagpipes amazing grace as is as the casket rolls down the rolls down to the tube like yeah oh my god like i was just i was in <laughs> i remember i was in uh i was at work this was while i was living in florida and i was working on the comic book i was working on my comic book and my artist was at the next table and all then she she just hears me <laughs> and oh. my shoulders start doing the thing she goes you okay oh. i was like let her nimoy just passed <laughs> she's like oh my god i'm so and she was much younger so it didn't hit her the same way i mean yeah yeah but it was like i was like this is and, and to be honest like i was a fan but i i wouldn't consider my... i was certainly not the trekker then that i am today yeah but the fact it was just kind of this this perfect storm of this very wise older you know gentleman who had you know, lived a life and was a staple of American pop culture is now yeah. gone. And, and again, you know, amazing grace on the bagpipes. Like it'll get like, I hate bagpipes, but if you start playing amazing grace, mm -hmm. I, I, the waterworks, yeah. man, it just, it happens. I don't know, but yeah, it was, that was rough, but yeah, we don't really see a lot of, a lot of officer funerals in star Trek. There's been very few, very few. Yeah. And just, but I mean, we know people 
people die left and right. The red shirts, you know, we know yeah, red the red, pass the away. red shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, again, it's just, it's always, it's like maybe one, maybe one episode is, to me, a series that we get to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Usually and even, yeah, go ahead. You know, what, no, I was just, I was, I was just thinking, I was like, yeah, I think there's usually one episode it's where like somebody dies. One episode. Tasha Yar. Right. We, we lost Tasha. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, and even then, I think with the, with the exception of losing Tasha, we don't really see those episodes until like later on, like yeah. seasons down the road. Then we, then we'll have like the episode. Cause I think in next generation, I don't really think that we really have something like that again. And it's only for a quick moment. It's with, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that officer, that cadet that goes on that mission. Um, and it's, uh, I guess it's, uh, kind of a follow-up story from her, her episode, uh was it called first duty that may have been what it was called Sounds with right. uh, wesley crusher mm-hmm. uh, uh at the trial at the academy mm-hmm. and she was oh, part of that right. whole thing yeah and she gets brought onto the enterprise and so you find out that at the end of the episode that she died and there's just a minute where picard is talking to the crew of the enterprise uh over comms and he's just saying this is what she did we you know thank her for this and that um, but that was, I think that was like season six or seven. Yeah, that's, like, pretty, that's pretty late. It was late down the road. Uh, DS9, you know, same thing. Like we have The Wake. Uh, I think that episode was called The Sound of Her Voice. And that wake, that was like season six. Yeah. yeah. Voyager's got uh, got an episode. Oh, I can't remember what that episode was, but that was also, what was it? What was that episode? There's like an officer that was on the ship that they didn't realize no, she was an officer, and then she. It's it turns so out that she. I've watched Voyager. It's I. Uh, I can't remember yeah. now, but it's like she was an officer. She ends up making it back to Voyager, and then she ends up leaving again because she's now this. Uh, this other alien. Oh, Cass. Um, no, not uh, not not Cass. Um, oh, this was a. It was. It, it was a guest star role. She was on for one episode, but you find out that she was an officer on Voyager for a while. Oh, okay. And so it's like. Whatever ha- whatever evolution she had, it's starting to take place. And then she goes off to be with this this new family, this this alien species that she's now been evolved into. Oh yeah. But okay. Yeah. Well yeah, I bringing it anyway, all back, yeah. like <laughs> I mean, because even Enterprise had um Enterprise had the the death of what we think is the death of Trip. Of Trip, right. But it's right. actually the death of Sim. Yeah. And uh, and then we watch that episode play out, which makes yeah. it sadder. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. That's even harder to watch. Wonderful episode directed by LeVar Burton. Like it's like that's a it's a that episode slaps. It's really, really good. It's a really yeah. good. Very, very sad. But yeah, really good. But yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of that. I, I mean, understanding that like Star Trek is such a beacon of hope in pop yeah. culture yeah nobody wants to drag anybody no you know nobody wants to bring anybody down right. like, no one the, wants to do that yeah. and it's like yeah it really with the with the legacy trek the 90s trek it was really like you know you lose the officer in the episode next week new story yep. um where it's like <laughs> you know here we lost you know we lost our, our shipmate next episode now we're going to talk about it and deal with it oh yeah um Wait, Enterprise does have another one, but I could go on about 
these different oh, yeah. shows forever and how they deal with stuff. But for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was, uh, you know, uh, okay. So we're done talking about funerals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting back into, uh, into something else. Let's go back to, you know, this very tense moment where Burnham puts herself on the pyre and is like, this has to be done. If, if <laughs> I I have to do this, otherwise all sentient life. That like that's that's the argument stopper for everything in season two of Discovery <laughs> of just like yeah. it's either we have to, I either have to play chess with you right now or all sentient <laughs> life <laughs> dies. Like it's that's what it comes down to. But like so she puts herself. It is known that the Red Angel has biosignature of Michael Burnham. Okay. Right, right. All right. So we got to, you know, she's got to sacrifice herself to, uh, to bring the red angel about so that they can capture it, interrogate her, find out what's going on. Nobody really mentions the fact that she guessed wrong. It's not Michael. It's her right. mom. Like it's her mom. This could have gone so horribly, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she comes face to face with her mom after, a decade or more of yeah of yeah of, of thinking of believing that my mother was killed in this horrible in this horrible thing in my backstory and here she is like how was this reveal for you that uh dr burnham dr gabriel burnham is actually the red angel and not michael well i remember i'm thinking about my reaction the first time that i saw the episode and it just because it's like it just ends on mom. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. To black. <laughs> to black. That's it. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I mean, all I can think of is like, wait, what? Uh -huh. Um, record scratch. I mean, also just you know to think about the the shock of thinking that your your parent has been dead all this time. Mm -hmm. Not only that, you lost your parent in one way, and then to find out that no, you actually lost them in this way. Um, I trying to imagine like the mental gymnastics that your mind must be doing. Oh yeah. With that, with that knowledge. And, um, and to be confronted with the person who's responsible and to deal with a former lover who is on their side. Whoa. It's a, it's amazing. She didn't turn into a puddle of just like, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm I done. <laughs> I remember because I remember thinking about this now and I'm thinking about it again, like years later after watching the uh, the episode for the first time, I'm now seeing it the second time. Michael Burnham mm. needs therapy. <laughs> there is yeah. just so over like, the, the first two seasons, especially Michael Burnham needs therapy. Yeah. Like there is so much that happens. I'm like, are you OK? Are you yeah. And yet, like out of let's be honest, everyone that we've interacted with in the crew of the Discovery needs therapy. Most of oh, yeah. at the top of the list is Michael. Yeah. How many of them go to Admiral Cornwell, who is a therapist and goes, hey, you got a minute to talk? One. One, one person. Goes to <laughs> one person who's just like, hey, I'm going through some stuff. Can we talk about it? <laughs> Which is like, it's also very interesting to see an admiral have this background of of being a there you know i i enjoyed it i enjoyed yeah. the twist and just watching her just say you know 
sure, come on, sit down, let's talk about it. And she just she turns it on. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that was a night. I mean, you know, I appreciate the introduction of a of a ship's counselor in in TNG. Yeah, of course. Um, and like and having that that follow up, uh, that having that follow up with Discovery was uh was good to see. Um yeah, yeah. Um seeing Admiral Cornwell take on take on that role again. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's it's just I, I've made I've made I've not held back my love for Admiral Cornwell and Jane Brock, who absolutely knocks it out of the park. Um, I would love to see I would have loved to seen a uh a miniseries of her as a lower ranking officer in Starfleet because yeah. watching her deal with Tyler when he's having his PTSD moment in mm. Klingon jail or the yeah, Klingon, yeah. You know, prison cell, like she knows how to work, but she knows how to work under fire. She knows how to work behind the scenes. Like there's clearly some stuff going on in her background that we just didn't get a chance to we, see. We don't have. Yeah. And yeah. that would be a very, a I very would. interesting story to see told. IDW make this happen. <laughs> please oh, do a comic oh, series delicious oh that would be oh how awesome would that be a story of it, it just a give me a three or four issue miniseries to give me some closure about admiral cornwell please please <laughs> yeah well we've not held back our love do you have anything else before we move on oh no no go ahead okay so we have not held back our love for the characters the actors uh, of this episode and of the franchise frankly we've been talking for a while but uh as we do when you talk about these big art pieces where there's a lot of moving parts you got a lot of people involved you always have to ask the question as we do every week lovingly who do we blame this episode was written by chris silvestri whose first credit he was a writer's assistant on all 39 episodes of hannibal that was from 2013 to 2015 he did four episodes as a consulting producer on the educational series Brainchild. That was in 2018. Uh, 2017, however, he got another writer's assistant job, this time on a little show called Star Trek Discovery. Um, he did that from the Vulcan Hello all the way to this episode, uh, which is his first writing in the franchise, but not his last. We've also got Anthony Marinville, whose first credits... Uh, were as a writer, director, and producer of the short Mimesis, uh, which I looked for but couldn't find. So if anybody out there finds it, send it to me, send me a link, something. I'd love to see it. Uh, and he'd do a few more shorts uh, up to 2022, but he was also a consulting producer for four episodes of Brainchild, the very same episodes as Chris Silvestri, maybe? I don't know. That's probably where they met. Uh, he wrote one episode of Monk in 2008, uh, but judging by the dates, it looks like his buddy Chris may have gotten him the gig uh, writing for Star Trek Discovery because this is his first writing in the franchise, but not his last. And this episode was directed by Hanley M. Culpepper, whose last episode directing was season one, episode 12, Vaulting Ambition, which we discussed with my former nemesis, counselor Amy Nelson, back on episode 98. Uh Matt and I both know Amy. She's an absolute sweetheart. We love her to death. But I still I love you, Amy. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Amy. I love you. 
but I still like to treat her as my nemesis. It's just fun. I, I have no reason to be antagonistic towards Amy, but it is fun. <laughs> I think it's because she takes it so well. She takes it like a real champ. Amy, uh, Amy used to be um used to be a teacher, so she is used to dealing with she's psychos used to the punishment. <laughs> she dealt with kids like us. So <laughs> In terms of guest stars, we've got a bunch of familiar faces, of course. Returning, we've got Michelle Yeoh as George O, Jane Brooke as Cornwell, Ethan Peck as Spock, Alan Van Sprang as Leland, and Rachel Ann Cheryl as Nan. But the the but the person I want to focus on today is Sarah Midich as Lieutenant Nilsson. Now she gets just a brief second of screen time here in this episode, but she is replacing Arium on the bridge. And it's kind of a tense moment when she comes on and they're like, mm. all right, welcome. I feel like the last half of that sentence was like, all right, welcome to the <laughs> show. Like, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, she plays Lieutenant Nilsson, uh, originally from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. At age nine, Sarah began at the uh, National Ballet School of Canada uh, from 2010 to 2014, she was in a lot of shorts and a few smaller films, uh, notably Joyride 3, Roadkill from 2014. She plays Candy, which means she dies a horrible death. Um, she was in one episode of Heroes Reborn that was in 2015, 10, ep 10 episodes of Murdoch Mysteries, four episodes of The Expanse from 2015 to 2016. She was also in the film Ashes in 2017, which is directed by Dan Slater, written by Slater and Jake Raymond, starring Raymond and Sarah Midich. Uh, and here's the little summary. After discovering his parents' final wishes are to have their ashes scattered where they first met, Liam and his closest friends set out to explore the place for themselves as they navigate old memories while creating new ones. Oh. Um, but this film actually got 19 nominations Seven wins, including Best Supporting Actress um, from the Actor Awards in L.A. Uh, later that same year, that was 2017, um, Sarah Midich uh, began working on Discovery as Arium. So from episode three through episode 15 of season one, she actually played Arium. But as we mentioned last week, the role was taken over by Hannah Cheeseman who got 86th last week. So uh, this is not, this is neither her first nor her last appearance in the franchise. Uh, so we've got a couple of interesting things here. Um, now I know we said we were done talking about the funerals, but Tilly actually gave an interesting uh, paraphrase of a quote from Albert Einstein. And the quote actually goes, there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. It's an interesting quote. Do you have any thoughts about this in terms of things happening in the world that lead you to another place, to another, to another setting, to another adventure, to more people? Any, any thoughts about this quote from Einstein? Oh man, as though nothing is a miracle and the other as though everything is a miracle. For me, I think... When I hear as though nothing is a miracle, I think that as though nothing happens by by accident mm -hmm. and really take a minute to think about why you are in this moment in time. Oh. What could you be 
learning from this moment in time, even if it's a really shitty moment in time. Yeah. Maybe you are in this place because there's something for you to learn and maybe you need to listen. Mm. And by listen, I mean just listen to, just be aware of everything around you. Really listen to your environment. And maybe there's something that you're, that you're being told in this moment. And when I think of uh, the other as though everything is a miracle, when I think about that, I think of, and I think maybe Leonard Nimoy said it. I don't know. It could be wrong. He, it may have been him that said, stay curious or keep mm. being curious about people. Yeah. I think, I think that was him. I could be wrong, but I do remember hearing that somewhere. Stay curious about people. Stay curious about life. Yeah. And for me, that's what that last thing is. Stay curious. I think that if we stayed curious about people, if we stayed curious about life, I think that we would be more patient people. I think we'd be more patient with each other mm. as a species. Yeah. I think that there would be less division, especially in the United States right now. Hey. Um, if we stayed curious and if we maybe approached it that way instead of approaching it as I'm right, you're wrong. Um, what if we just approach things from a curious place of just gathering information? Oh. Uh, maybe. Sounds like something a Starfleet maybe. scientist would do. <laughs> it, it does, right? <laughs> yeah. But maybe that's, you know, that's what I think of is, is uh, maintain your curiosity. Yeah. Maybe there's something there. Do you, do you make a point to stay curious about things in your life? I really do. And I'll be very honest. Some days I struggle. Yeah. Some days I don't want to be curious. Some right. days I don't, um, but I think the reality is, is that we're all going through something at the end of the day. And this is something that I was taught in, in acting class um, is, you know, when you're playing a character and when you're doing a scene and the scene has a moment where the character loses control and yells, mm. that person isn't yelling because this te the text just says yell here. Right. You've got to think about what happened in that person's day. What has that person been going through for the last few months, for the last few years? Oh, yeah. What has that person been going through with, with this person that they're in the scene with? Why is this the person that they're deciding to go off on today? Have they been holding on to all the stuff that they're saying now for, for years? Like there's all of these circumstances that lead up to that, to that moment. And while, you know, in some cases, and, you know, applying this to life, you know, in some cases, those things aren't aren't just like those horrible acts aren't justified, right? Um, or those you know those moments of someone snapping, while they may not be justified, um, if the person is not purposefully that way and they have that kind of crappy moment, maybe take a minute to think about well, what else? What what was the what was the lead and what were you walking in with today? What happened right. before? Yeah. Now. On the other hand, you have some people that just make an active choice, as I said earlier, to just be mean. Uh-huh. And at that point, I don't want to be curious about you yeah. because you've made a decision to actively be a negative human being and try to work that out on me. And I cannot be that outlet for you. Right. I have to protect myself. Right. But if someone if someone is trying or if you can see that someone is just losing control, um, depending on the scenario and the circumstance. I guess that's what I say. Stay curious. Mm. What has that person been going through? Yeah. To get there. Yeah. I think uh, for me, when I hear that quote, it makes me think of 
something somebody said to me years ago, and it always kind of, you know, stuck in the, you know, wrinkles in my brain. Everything you go through in life makes you into the very specific person you are for that next moment. Mm. And, you know, interpret that as you will, but it's just kind of like, you know, that's, you know, hindsight that that's where hindsight comes in. Cause you look back five, 10, 20 years later and go, Oh man, I would have done that differently. Yeah. You would have yeah. done that differently today. today. Yeah. <laughs> back right, then, right. You were a different person. Right. Um, and then the other part, everything's a miracle. It makes me, uh, it might sound cheesy. It might sound sappy, but it's absolutely true. I think about my wife. I'm like, mm. what are the odds? Mm. You know, what are the odds? The two people find each other, you know, and it, not even just me and my wife, but like anybody, <laughs> what are the odds of two people in this world finding each other and staying together? I mean, you know, look at this, look at the statistics of, you know, divorce or anything like that. Right. Right. Uh, it's it, we're, we're staring. The wife and I are staring down our staring down the barrel of 15, our 15 year wedding anniversary this year. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm giving a clap. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, and it hasn't, it's not been easy. And I think right, she would right. agree. <laughs> yeah. It is work. Um, But God, when you connect with somebody, I mean, she was having a rough night last night and, you know, and I just, crawled up in bed next to her and just, you're my best friend mm. you know anything that we go through think about think about anything you go through isn't it better when you've got somebody next to you <laughs> good or bad it's you know the idea of like misery loves company but at the same time something good's you know happen you want somebody there to experience it with you uh, you know what are the odds what are the odds? Anyways, uh, so that's so that's the one thing. The other thing that I wanted to uh, talk with you about, and this is actually going to take us back into our thoughts about the episode. Yeah, this episode is the first Star Trek production to use specific terms for different sexual orientations, specifically gay and pansexual. Now, the scene in which this happens is <laughs> so uh wonderfully awkward <laughs> oh my god it's As, so awkward like, the fate of the universe is hanging in the balance and Giorgio's trying to break off a piece like he's like <laughs> she's trying to get it in she's trying to get it in um let, well let's let's talk well first of all let's talk about the the scene in the episode and then we'll talk about uh the ramifications of uh finally using these terms in yeah. uh in star trek so the scene how did you feel about the scene you know you've got Giorgio stamets then you've got culber and tilly who i mean we're all human beings here it's you know it would be weird to think uh, like oh they're not interested in uh, things of a sexual nature. Like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Sex, it's biology. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts about the scene? It was just, I don't think that I was expecting it. I think you know what it was is because um, I think, I think because overall discovery has found ways to put in humor tidbits mm. here and there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because I would have to go back and do a whole rewatch of season two up until, up, uh, up until that point. Mm -hmm. But you know, from watching the episode I watched a couple of days ago, um, from just watching this one episode again and thinking about what I remember from the beginning of season two up until that point, yeah. everything has been so high stakes. Very. And so tense. Yeah. In the last episode, someone just died. 
Um, uh-huh. And I'll be honest, I have purposefully not. I think I have only seen that episode one time because it broke me so much. Jonathan Frakes, you are a sick, talented man. <laughs> you are a sick, talented man. And that broke my heart. Well done. Yeah, he did a great um, job with it. <laughs> I have like not gone back and watched the episode because it broke me so much. And it was so hard to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything has been so serious up until this point. So you've got this scene where like it just breaks the tension. And so there, you know, you've got Stamets and Culber. And I think Tilly like, wait, no, Tilly was there watch as well but they're talking about the plan to, yeah. to capture the red angel and they're talking about the science of it and what they're going to do and this is what we're looking at and i think that this is going to work with this and blah 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 and emperor Giorgio is just in here trying to just get it in yep i think get it in with everybody yeah honestly i think if she had it her way it would have been stamets it would have been color and it would have been tilly and as Worf said it would have been a foursome and it was a threesome <laughs> Um, but you know in regards to uh her going after stamets i think i was thinking i was thinking the same thing as culver in that moment i was like he's you know he's he's yeah yeah you know he's gay right i don't think that (laughs) he would be i mean he could be he could be you know um but i think that this scene just broke the tension yeah um I appreciate, I mean, I think just in terms of sexual identity and the queer community, mm-hmm. I think for me, again, this was just a, also a scene where it wasn't, you know, something that was harped on. It was just, hey, you know, that this is a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, And that's kind of it. Yeah. And I think it, I think it hits harder because it is juxtaposed with okay, we're going to put up these sensors, we're going to use a EMP, we're going to, you know, yeah. the, very, te- this very technical, expositional type yes. scene. Oh, by the way, Georgia is wanting to break it off. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it cuts the tension. It cuts yeah. the tension. They, they're able to do, I, I don't know if this is the writing, the directing, the acting, all of the above. Yeah. But they're able to do both. They're able to have their cake and eat it too, as it were, with this scene. Because it is, they make it very clear what the plan is. Yeah. And then we address this thing of the the sexual tension and the sexual preferences, uh, you know, the mirror universe versus the prime universe, yada, yada, yada. And it's, you know, it's one doesn't detract from the other, which is also some pretty fancy footwork in terms of writing, directing, producing, acting, like all of that stuff. It really fits well. So it's, while it is a funny scene, I gotta applaud them for like, really pulling it off very well speaking of pulling it off very well how good does wilson cruz look in that black suit i mean wow just again i am comfortable enough to look at a dude wearing a nice suit and be like dude you are wearing that suit a dish and i'll you know me personally i have i have a thing for 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 men wearing suits i think it's just it is for me it's sexy I, i can't explain i think it's a very sexy thing yeah um also, because I can't stop thinking about it, is t- the button on the scene with Tilly. With Tilly. What it's like, just happened? What? <laughs> Where it's like the words. Oh. She doesn't say the words so much as they just kind of fall out of her head. Just, oh, God. What just happened? <laughs> so beautiful. And just so beautifully done. 
so well delivered. <laughs> Mary Wiseman, delivered. we absolutely adore you. Uh, if you hear this, please come on. We'd we'd love to just pick your brain about everything. <laughs> and it's like now that I think about it, because we've got Emperor Giorgio, who mm-hmm. is um who is pansexual, and I'm thinking about the intendant from Deep Space Nine from the Mirror Universe. And like I I can only imagine the mayhem that the two of them would get into. I would just like I just want to see a con- I just want to see a conversation with the two of those. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. two of them. Like what kind of mayhem it's would you know they get into? I was lucky enough to interview Nana Visitor uh earlier this year and you hear you hear people talk about actors or performers really that have that it factor. Yes. And with her sitting 18 inches in front of my face, it was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You you've got that it factor. It's you know it's palpable. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I you know I watched. I had the pleasure of watching her do uh, you know some stage readings and things like that, and it was absolutely wonderful because she disappears into roles like. Oh my oh, god. Yeah, like I'm if, if anybody if anybody out there, I mean this kind of goes back to what you were saying about the Emmys and you know and you know season 3 of Picard getting snubbed like if if there's any doubt that these actors and we'll just speak about the actors here for a moment. Yeah, but like yeah. if there's any doubt that any of these folks can't hold water up against any other actor, all right, go ahead and get any other actor to be on Star Trek. Let's see how they do. There's yeah. a reason that they pick people with classic theater training, specifically oh my Shakespearean God. theater training, because yes. take a look at a Star Trek script sometime. I've, I've got a book. I've got a book of Star Trek scripts. Flip to a page and see how easy it is to read. Like <laughs> I'm telling you, try saying try saying that techno babble and try making it make sense. Yeah. Kate, yeah. Kate Mulgrew says it all the time. She said it might as well be Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And like kudos to Kate Mulgrew for like with all the circumstances that she had at that time, getting, oh, yeah. you know, what probably two pages of of techno babble the night before. Yeah. <laughs> Until I'd... like in that this, out that center seat documentary series which again I, i've mentioned it a couple times already but it is a fantastic series and yeah it's it's a few years old at this point but wow what an eye-opener in that interview she's just like i essentially had the weekend to prepare to be to be jane to be janeway I'm like holy crap <laughs> and you know thinking about this just for a minute about um uh the sorry just going back a little bit with the the quote Mm-hmm. Uh, there are only two ways to live your life, and the 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 um, one is though nothing is a miracle. Mm. You know, when I think about the way that Jane Way, uh, so sorry, um, Kate Mulgrew, uh, her story of of getting the part when it originally went to someone else, yeah, um, uh, Genevieve Bougeau, mm-hmm. I believe, yep, and then you know Genevieve Bougeau stepped away, and Kate kind of came in and just did what she had to do um yep and here we stuff. are 30 30 years later and, and there's yeah. no one else that nobody else can play <laughs> that can play that part and to me it's stuff like that stuff like that doesn't happen by by accident especially when they were two weeks into filming already yeah two oh, weeks yeah. into filming that's a lot of time and money to do reshoot stuff like that when that happens that's not an accident that part was for you oh yeah no um it makes me think of like yeah. Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like 
go ahead and try to picture somebody else's Wolverine. (laughs) Right. Stewart. Patrick Stewart, you know, bringing it back to Star Trek, Patrick Stewart as, you know, as Professor X. Don't get me wrong. Like James McAvoy did a great job, but like, yeah, he's not Patrick Stewart, (laughs) you know, and even Patrick Stewart getting cast as Picard and the stuff that he went through to get like the stories that he had of getting getting like certain things just don't happen by by accident. Certain things are here. I'm going to get really philosophical and deep for a minute. Um, This is a safe place. Go for it. Okay, so um, I I love Erica Badu. Um, okay. I I adore her, and she made uh, she was talking about different artists one day, and she talked about certain people having certain gifts and certain people. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter what they do. I think, like you were saying, they just have that it factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if they were a shoemaker, the shoes would be the magnetic quality. If they were, I don't know, a cook, the food would have. Uh, had that magnetic quality. Um, some people are just designed to do specific things, no matter what your circumstance oh, is. Yeah. You're going to make it to that destination because mm-hmm. it's for you. It's yours. So, you know, whatever whatever happens, if it's meant for you, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are just designed to do certain things. But yeah. that's again going back to back to uh, as though nothing is a miracle. That's yeah. That's my thought. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, Matt, we come to the question that we ask every week. Is this essential viewing? This episode, Red Angel. If somebody is sitting down for the first time and working their way through Star Trek and they come to this episode, is this one that they can skip or is this a must-see episode? I think it's a must-see. I mean, yeah. you for one for one thing, I mean, this is a this is a ser- serialized is the the right word, right? Right. Yeah. So for, you know, we have the serialized aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as well, we've got just the, we've got character building that goes on here. Yeah. We, you know, we've got the dynamic that we get to see more of between Spock and Michael Burnham. We've got, you know, Hugh, uh, uh, Hugh's, uh, Dr. Culber's um, therapy session uh, with Admiral Cornwell, where he's mm-hmm. talking about, um, I guess just where he's at in his life right now yeah. and coming back from, from death basically mm-hmm. and trying to, to register that and trying to figure out if he can still be this person for his partner. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, I mean, we've got more of the buildup of, you know, the relationship between, uh, Emperor Giorgio and Michael Burnham. We've got, um, we've got the reveal at the end. We've got the reveal of Michael Burnham's mother actually working with Leland and, you know, her believing something for at least, I don't know how old Michael Burnham is at this point, but for at least 10 plus years of her life, as far as she knows, this is how she lost her mother. This is something she's been carrying with her. And now this new piece of it, you know, I say all that to say, yeah, it's, it's essential viewing. There's so much that happens here. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree. And, you know, I've not held uh, held back in saying that, you know, when it's serialized, it's kind of hard to skip any episodes. But, you know, yeah. our discussion last week with executive producer Kat Davis, um, we came to the conclusion that last week's episode could have been condensed. And a lot of the stuff that happens in that episode kind of gets recapped in this one. Mm. Um, so last week is a, is an episode you could potentially skip. But here, with the plot elements regarding Michael's mother, parents, 
and their yeah. involvement in Section 31. Um, all of the emotional ups and downs, mostly twists and turns that Michael goes through and the different things that are revealed in this episode. Um, Culber's, you mentioned it, Culber's um, one therapy session. And let's be honest, fastest route to a breakthrough in in the history of therapy <laughs> ever. <laughs> more stuff with captain pike you know i all of this all of this stuff is really it's ramping up it is really ramping up and i think if you do skip last week's episode project daedalus then you absolutely have to watch this episode if you're going to continue in discovery yeah um you know trekkers are going to be like hey look it's you know it's trek i'm in for everything right um but if you you're watching the ups yeah yeah, if you're looking to kind of streamline the experience a little bit and cut things here and there, um, I don't think this is one you can skip for sure. Well, uh, Matt, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and you know carving out the time to to sit and nerd out with me once again about Star Trek. I'd sit and talk with you about anything, man. But you know, when we get together and talk Star Trek, the conversation can go and go and go. Um, do you have any parting thoughts before we start to wrap it up? Thoughts about the episode, thoughts about uh, this season of Discovery, Discovery as a whole, the franchise as a whole, or any other parting thoughts that you'd like to impart before we wrap it up? I think I can't wait to, I mean, with with the strike happening right now, mm -hmm. um, and I think the last thing that we'll get is probably Lower Decks before... We have no more new Trek. Um, I think Lower Decks. I know Prodigy oh, that's Season right. 2 is done. And, and then there's Discovery one more Season, season of five. Discovery. Yeah. Um, you know, when those things are done, there's going to be a little bit of a gap. And, you know, I think I can't wait to go back and I think just do a rewatch of, of Discovery. Yeah. Um, I've been most curious to see what, because now it's been about five years and I wonder what I would look at now and what I would see now. Um. I think that I don't know. I just I I think about the hard work that was put in by by production by everybody. Um, I think about I don't know. I think I'm just I think about I'm thinking about it as a piece of art, and I think that's probably just because I'm thinking about the strike. Yeah, I'm just you know I'm looking at it looking at it as just a, a piece of art and the work that goes that goes into into making these things, mm. and everyone really everyone really goes for it and they go all out. And I, you know, I, I can't, I can't take it for granted. I can't. Um, I, I love the journey that we get to see this crew go on from here to, 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 you know, season four, the latest season where, you know, I feel like, and it always happens with, to me with every Trek series where it's like around season three or four, it's like, Oh, there's the crew. There they are. There yep. it is. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it, you know it, it always takes a little bit of time and to me that's okay you know that that that's okay watching the journey is the best part yeah you know Oof. yeah you're right yeah it's, and it's not every not every uh star trek series has been strange new worlds that just comes out of the gate swinging you know right it's you, like that's you take the journey you take you, the you take the journey and you you get to see these people grow you get to see the actors grow into the roles yeah all of that, all that stuff. And, you know, I think season two is definitely one of my favorite seasons. Um, season two is one of my favorite seasons of Discovery just overall is, I think, a story 
and character building and world building. You know, it it gave us uh, it gave us this, um, strange new worlds. You know, mm-hmm. um, we get more more about Michael Burnham. We get to see some of that stuff play out in season three. Um, yeah, I just I, I appreciate it more now, and I can't wait to go back and do a full rewatch and to really catch some stuff that I that I know that I've, I've missed. Absolutely. And we appreciate you. So thank you again for coming on uh, to talk with me about this episode. Well, folks, next week, we will be joined by New York's cosplay comedian, Danny Rydell, to discuss Discovery Season 2, Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity, which is available wherever you watch Star Trek. We support the strike. Matt. Where can people find 1701 A Blurred Story and uh, and you online? Uh, you can find me for uh, 1701 A Blurred Story. You can find me on Instagram uh, at 1701BLERD. Um, I'm also, I also do, because you, you mentioned Amy. Um, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I also uh, I do a podcast with uh, with BQN called Cinema Z, nice. um, where we uh, we discuss and we review uh, movies. Where I don't think we we don't really do current stuff as much. We review like a lot of uh, indie movies that have come mm-hmm. up in the last 20, 30 years. We do older movies too. Nice. Um, we do cult classics. We did the Batman Returns um, for an episode. So um, yeah, check out Cinema Z. Why have I not been invited to be on this show? I was just about to ask you. I mean, we just started doing it uh, a couple of months ago. Oh, okay, um, cool. But yeah, I do it with Mark White and Laz Marquez. And I also do it with Shalimar. Those are the four hosts that we do it with. Um, yeah, and I, I do it uh, do it under the BQN network with um, Amy, Amy Nelson. Um, and that's been a lot of fun, too. Um, you can find us on, I think, at BQN Podcasts on uh, on Instagram. And we're on other socials, too. We're on Blue Sky, and we're also on, I guess it's called X now. Because mm. um, we were on Twitter before it turned into X. We're on that as well. But, mm. um, yeah, so uh, Cinema Z, uh, look for that under BQN Podcasts. And um, for 1701, my web series, at 1701BLERD on Instagram, on my personal Instagram at MLJENN. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 Forward. Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at computerresume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok.
The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're gonna find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?